Thank you, Pastor Chad, for the prayer supplication. And thank you, Sister Amy, for that peppy little rendition of I'm Bound for the Promised Land. I was wanting to just jump right in there and sing or dance or do something. Uh, since I can't sing, I guess that leaves me dancing, right? But anyway, I like that. There was a, there was a good little twist there. Um, as we continue to, to uh, explore the very broad topic, as I've been sitting in my study praying and preparing on the subject of heaven, I'm, you know, sometimes I almost smack myself and say, what, what, what do you think you're doing? Who wants to preach on heaven? I mean, goodness gracious. Uh, there's not enough time and certainly not enough intelligence in this brain to, to render fair justice in talking about or preaching on the subject of heaven. But with, with God's help, I am making a feeble attempt to explore this and, and to illuminate our minds and hearts a little bit about our eternal destiny, our destination. And, you know, I, I would think that we would want to know something about this place where we will spend eternity. I don't know about you when I plan a trip. Um, you know, I like to kind of peek ahead, you know, maybe go online and pull up some maps or something. I know Wendy uses the hard copy of the maps, but, uh, you know, some of us go to Google Maps now. Or, or go on Google and just Google something. I know a couple of years ago when I had the awesome privilege of winning a trip, an expense-paid trip to, to accompany Governor Mike Huckabee and a team of pastors uh, to, to Europe. And to do a whirlwind tour of Krakow, Poland, and then to we whisked off to London and toured London and went to places there of historical significance, and then boarded an airplane and came back across the Atlantic and found ourselves back in L.A. at the Ronald Reagan Library. I, I know, you know, I was very nervous. I didn't have a lot of time to prepare for that. When, they, when you win a trip, you don't lot, get a lot of time for preparation. But I know I spent a lot of time trying to find out all I could about Poland, about Pope John Paul. That was the focus of the trip, and then Margaret. Thatcher and, and, and Winston Churchill and, of course, Ronald Reagan and, and, and something about these places. And why shouldn't we be that diligent and enthused when we talk about heaven? Why is it when we talk about heaven so often people kind of yawn? Yeah, I'll be going there. <laughs> First, let, let me just caution you. Heaven is not the default of all good people. And let me just say that another way. Just because you're a good person, don't just make the assumption that you will find yourself in heaven one day. One of the most gripping, ominous passages in the scripture, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into heaven. That ought to say a lot to people. Don't just assume that just because you're a good person and, and go to church and your, church is, your name is on a church roll, that you're a guaranteed citizen of heaven. Folks, only true followers of Jesus Christ. Those who have not only placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but who have made a conscious commitment to daily walk with Christ and to follow Him and to live by His principles and to be obedient to His Word and have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in your heart can be confident that heaven will be your home. So I would make sure that you make sure that you make sure that you are scripturally qualified as a child of God. But having said that, we've already read a good portion of the text that I was going to read here from the pulpit this morning in chapter 5. We read it responsibly, and I hope you paid attention as you were reading those wonderful words. Because that's us. As you're reading chapter 5 of the book of Revelation, ladies and gentlemen, you're reading and looking into the future. 
And you're, take, you're, you're seeing by the divine revelation of God given through the vision that he gave to John the Apostle, you're seeing future heaven. And you and I are there. Because the rapture of the church has occurred by the time chapter 4 rolls around. That means those of us who have died and gone to heaven are there or those who are raptured are there. The church is present around the throne of God. And I want to show you that. So let me just back up. I want to read a few passages out of chapter 4 and then we can not read chapter 5 since we've read it together. But I'd introduced chapter 4 in, in a previous message and so I'd like to pick up in verse 9 because we talked about the four living creatures that are around the throne of God that are there constantly giving praise to God. We talked about also the elders the 24 elders. And, and ladies and gentlemen, when you see reference to the 24 elders, you can assume, and biblical scholars tell us, that this is a representation of the church. The church is made up of uh, tri- all the, uh, uh, people from all the tribes of Israel. They're Jewish members in the church. We know that. They're Gentile members in the body of Christ. And so the references to the 24 elders, for instance, you will see that in verse 10. Look with me and read along silently as I read aloud verse 9 of chapter 4, Revelation. Revelation chapter 4, verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, us, fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things. And by Your will, and by You, or by Your will, they exist and were created. Now we read together, responsively, chapter 5. That talks about the Lamb of God who is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He's portrayed there as a precious Lamb who has been slain. And we know that is a reference to the Lord Jesus. Also refers to Him in verse 5 of chapter 5 as the Lamb of the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The Root of David. Both references to Jesus Christ. He is there at the right hand of God the Father. Receives the scroll which is the title deed to the earth. The earth at this time is engulfed in sin and rebellion. And about to be judged by God, and it will be, in the dreadful day of the Lord. And there's only one who is worthy to hold the scroll, and that is the precious Lamb, Jesus Christ, who by His act of sacrifice, redemptive sacrifice, is the only one to lay hold to the title of the earth, to be called Lord of Lords, King of Kings. But then I want you to see something in verse 9. Don't, don't miss this. In verse 9 it says, And they sang a new song. And when it talks about they, I, I want to remind you, we're there. They sang. You know, interestingly, as you look at the text, the Scriptures, and, and this is a misconception that sometimes we have about heaven and angels angels don't sing everything that the living creatures do they say in Isaiah's great vision in Isaiah chapter 6 with the seraphim there 
They're saying with a loud voice, Holy, holy, holy. So who's singing this new song? I'll tell you who. You'll see it. Let's read verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll, speaking of Christ, and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God, which Peter made reference of in 1 Peter 2.9, and we shall reign on the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ did not die on the cross and shed His blood for not one angel, not one seraphim, not one cherubim, not one of the four living creatures did the Son of God die. Hence, they're not singing. This song is not about them. I'll tell you who's singing. Charlie Martin is singing with his glorified voice. You're singing as we're gathered around the throne and we see this magnificent splendor unfold before us in the majesty and the power of God, we're singing to Christ. We see Him. We see Him standing there, the precious slain Lamb of God. For the first time in your life, you're able to sing straight to His face. Worthy are you. Worthy are you, the Lamb of God who shed your blood for our sins. Folks, that's exciting. And Amy, there might be a glorified piano off to the side. I I can't guarantee you that. I know we have harps. (laughs) How are you on the harp? Let's talk about those who are residents and will be residents of the present heaven. There's a distinction. In the next message, we'll be talking about future heaven. But we're talking about present heaven here in Revelation 4 and 5. That's where God is now. That's where God has been from the dawning of history. That's where the angels are. That's where the mighty armies of God are. That usher in and back and forth from that dimension into our dimension as God sees fit. And that's where all the saints who have died are in the very presence of God. You see, when we talk about salvation, understand, it's not an event. Salvation, brothers and sisters, is a, is a process. It's a wonderful, glorious process. Could, could I just take you back to Romans very quickly? In Romans chapter 8. We all know Romans eight twenty eight. For God, we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and called according to His purpose. But how many times do we stop and settle down on verse 29 of Romans 8? God's up to something. He's got a process in place. And it, and it begins here on earth, but it culminates in heaven. In verse 29 of Romans 8, it says, For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, those He also called, whom He called, those He also justified, and whom He justified, those or these He also glorified. 
So people in heaven are those who are the result of that process, if you will. And in 2 Corinthians, if I might just take you there, in chapter 3, 2 Corinthians in verse 18, Paul is writing in chapter 3, 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all, he must have been a southerner, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed, that means changed, being present tense continuous, being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The process, first of all, is justification. That happens here in this world on this earth in your lifetime, my lifetime. That is the moment that Jesus Christ by His Spirit convicts your heart that you are lost, that you are under the penalty of sin, and He gives you faith to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. And you put your full trust and faith and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ and you repent of your sins, turn your back on your sinful flesh, the sinful world, your sinful relationships and ways and you put your faith and trust and make a commitment to follow Jesus Christ. And by the blood of Jesus Christ that was spoken of there in Revelation chapter 5, by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are justified. In other words, we are saved. We are liberated from the penalty of sin. And Romans 6.23 tells us the penalty of sin is eternal death and separation. Justification is when the blood of Jesus Christ has applied to your soul and the penalty of sin has been paid and you are given the guarantee that you will never have to suffer the judgment of God's wrath and be separated from the Lord. But the process doesn't stop there. It continues while we live here on earth. We call it sanctification. Because even after you have made the decision to accept Jesus Christ and made the commitment to follow Him, let me tell you something. God doesn't just simply stamp your heart and say, okay, go live like you want to. Here's a ticket to heaven. Because you know and I know that we are still being bombarded by sin and temptation and the devil... And all the evil forces of the world to try to hinder us from following Christ and being faithful and being fruitful for His glory. Sanctification is the Lord setting us apart from the world to be His people. And that takes place every day of your life and my life all the way through life in this world. But did you notice in Romans 8, 29... And also there in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it talked about glorification. Glorification, my dear friends, is the culmination of the process. That's what happens when we get to heaven. That's where what you are to be actually comes into being. It's, it's the moment, if you will, using an analogy in the, in the natural environment, the, the natural realm, it's the moment... That the cocoon explodes and that which was an ugly caterpillar emerges with beautiful, gorgeous wings as a monarch butterfly. I'm not saying we're all flitting around in heaven as butterflies. I'm just saying there's no comparison to what you are in this scene in Revelation 4 and 5 as to what you are here. 
Because you will be absolutely glorified. As Paul said, from glory to glory to glorified. Hallelujah. And it's the glorified saints who are assembled there in the presence of God there in heaven right now. Christ followers who died prior to today occupy heaven. Those who have gone on to be with the Lord. Paul knew this. Paul preached this. He taught that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I touched on this briefly in a previous message. It's worth going back to look at chapter 5 in 2 Corinthians verse 6. He says, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And when Paul uses that word in verse 8, present, it is a Greek word, endomio, which means at home. You can go to a lot of places, ladies and gentlemen, and you can relax and kick your feet up and feel good. You can go to a luxurious hotel or motel or whatever, or go to some friend's house where you feel... But let me tell you something, albeit so humble, there's no place like home. And I don't care how comfortable you are in your life right now, in your body right now, in your circumstances right now, or in this world right now, let me tell you something, your soul is not at home. And you won't know the sensation of what Paul is describing here until you step over into glory and you experience the dynamic divine process of glorification. You will sense your soul yelling out, I'm at home! Home at last! Home at last! Folks, there's something wrong when Christians don't get homesick. When you think more about this world and you find adequate satisfaction in this world in this condition and you don't have a deep longing in your spirit to be there in the presence of the Lord something is wrong because I believe that dedicated followers of Christ who buy into the message of the word of God who are filled with the spirit of God can't help but get homesick and think about what is awaiting them This world is not our home. This state is not our home. Your mailing address doesn't represent your home, ladies and gentlemen. But this place called heaven is the home of the children of God. All there should be a longing. Let me tell you something. If you want to see energized worship, you get a bunch of homesick Christians gathered together who are fully committed to the truth of God's word that heaven is indeed a a real place. It is a place where God resides. It is a place where Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the heavenly beings, the angels, and the saints who've gone on, those we know and those we don't know, but praise God, it's where we're headed. Oh, you're talking about worshiping God. We could sing along with Sister Amy. She plays that peppy law, I'm bound for the promised land without any problems. But also gathered around the throne, not just those who have died and, and, and gone on to be with the Lord, but also, if you recall from the teachings of the Apostle Paul, this is also those who have, at this moment, in the history of mankind, been caught up in what we call the rapture of the church, because Christ has promised He would come to receive us, and where He is, He would take us to be with Him, 
Paul gives us some illumination into this in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4 because some of the Thessalonian Christians were concerned for their loved ones who had died and yet Christ had not come. And they were wondering, where, where are they? Are they going to miss the rapture? Are they, are they going to miss the, the coming of Christ? The, the, the second coming of Christ? They're going to be left out and Paul's putting their mind to ease because he's revealing something to them that is new. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians in chapter, thir- uh, chapter 4, verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Christ. That is, those who have already died. For, for this I say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who have already died, their bodies are in the grave. They will go first in this great resurrection of the body, if you will. We'll talk more about that. In verse 17, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. At a pivotal time in the history of mankind, just prior to God bringing His judgment upon the world, Christ will descend. He won't come all the way to the earth. He'll be in the clouds. But those who have gone ahead, their souls will be with Him. And those of us who are alive, if we are fortunate enough to be alive at that time, will be caught up. Be transformed. We'll see bodies taken out of graves of believers who are already in heaven to be joined with their souls there. And Paul says, comfort one another with this. It's yet to come. The apostle Paul also illuminated this in chapter 15. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Paul sheds light on this in verse 50. He says, this I say, brethren... That flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Folks, a mystery is that which has not been revealed prior to this time. Just as the gospel had not been revealed, just as the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the Trinity, that that was not something Old Testament people knew about. New revelation, the church is a mystery. The existence of the church, the body of Christ, was a mystery to Old Testament saints. Paul Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all die, he says. But we shall all be changed. Whether you die in, in the grave when Christ comes, or if you're still alive and Christ comes, Paul says, irregardless, you've got to change. <laughs> you cannot go into heaven in this old sin-tainted, soiled body there's got to be a wonderful transformation that's what he's talking about he's, and it happens fast it happens so fast in, in verse 52 first corinthians 15 verse 52 in a moment in the twinkling of an eye that's faster than an eye beat at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised and incorruptible and we shall be changed that is those who are being caught up in that rapture For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has been put has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Quoting 
He goes on to say, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? As if He's taunting them. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, there is no holding Christians in the grave. Or to this sinful world. And all of those who have died prior to the rapture, those who are living at the time of the rapture, will be taken, transformed, and be there in this present heaven that He's speaking of in Revelation. Now, it's interesting because in reading about this and talking about, we're talking about the present heaven, and as I said, we will eventually look at the new heaven and new earth. But I think it's interesting. Two, two sources that I've been relying upon, one by Dr. John MacArthur, Dr. John MacArthur, and another, Don Stewart, they suggest that in the present heaven, those who have died and, and are gathered around the throne, these are that we, when we die, we leave this world and we are in heaven in identifiable spirits or souls until the day of the rapture when our bodies are raptured or we are transformed to live there in God, in the presence of God. Now, Dr. Randy Alcorn, another scholar on the subject, he offers this take on, on the matter. What, what, is this, what is the form of those who have died? As I said, Dr. MacArthur and, and Don Stewart say we leave this world, we go and we are in an identifiable soul spirit. In other words, we are soul, we are spirit. People are able to recognize us. There's uniqueness about every soul, every spirit, and we are simply waiting on the rapture of the church at that time that we will be fully reunited with our bodies in a glorified body. However, Dr. Randy Alcorn says that because of the physical description of the present heaven, that it seems that those who are in heaven now and have been since Old Testament saints' time, those are in intermediate physical bodies. They, they exist in physical bodies, bodies that are unique, bodies that can be identified, but it's not our glorified body, not yet, not yet. Because as the Scripture teaches, that awaits the second coming of the Lord. And so you have those, and folks, on some things you, you can't be dogmatic. I can be dogmatic about the fact that yes, heaven is a real place. Yes, God is there. Yes, Jesus and the Holy Spirit is there. Yes, saints will go to be in the presence of the Lord. Yes, the angels are there. It's real. Yes, it's a, it's a wonderful spiritual realm. But we, on things of like this, are we actual souls, spirits, or are we physical bodies? You have, you have people weighing in on both sides of that. But here's the fact. Regardless... Where you come down on that. And, and there's, there's evidence to support both because for, with Dr. Randy Alcorn talking about the physical nature of heaven, he, he, he refers to the fact that Jesus Christ was resurrected bodily into heaven. He didn't just poof, turn into a spirit and go on up to heaven. When Stephen saw Jesus in his vision, just before Stephen was martyred, just before he died, he looked up and, and the heavens were parted and he saw, he said, I see Jesus, the Son of Man, standing at the right hand of God the Father, indicating or implicating that Jesus had a body. We know in Matthew chapter 17, when, when Jesus took James and Peter and John up on the mountain, what's called transfiguration, and there it, we're told in the Scriptures that they saw 
there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, obviously in body form. They recognized them, even though they had been dead for hundreds of years. So I'm just saying, either way. But, but wherever you end up on that, the fact is, being in heaven, the experience of being in heaven, leaving this world, being in the presence of God, is absolutely indescribable almost, but I'm going to describe some of the experiences. It's hard for us to imagine how great and glorious it is. That's why Paul, Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To be present with the Lord, that in and itself is the greatest benefit of all. But in heaven, there is unending pleasure for those who are there in the presence of the Lord. You remember in Psalm 16, verse 10, I was sharing with you, for the psalmist says, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Speaking of Christ, His body didn't see corruption in the grave like other ordinary people. In verse 11, he says, You will show me the path of life. Speaking of heaven, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We're used to living here in this temporal setting where we have pleasures for a while, then we have problems, then we have headaches, and then we have, you know, trials and tribulations, and then we have pleasure. Folks, heaven in heaven where we are, there is unending pleasures. There's also in heaven unprecedented knowledge. How many of you feel like you are as smart as you can ever be? I didn't think so. Scientists tell us that, that by all likelihood, we only use a portion of our brain. And I think wives are con content with knowing that husbands probably use even less than the wives do. But I'll have to say, I can't say a comment on that because I am one. Uh, but... But listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians in chapter 13, the love chapter. In verse 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, Paul says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then when we are taken from this world, the minute that you're in heaven, the minute that you are in this process of becoming glorified, he says, but, but then face to face. You see, when you read the Scriptures, you are looking almost in a mirror. And you know, it's one thing to look in the rear view mirror of your car, the side mirror of your car, and you look at the traffic. But you know, if you get confused, mirrors can confuse you sometimes. And, and you don't get the very accurate rendition of what you're looking at unless you just turn around and see. You've got to see it. So, so even with the Scriptures being the inspired Word of God, at best, we're looking in a mirror. So Paul says in verse 12, for... Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. I like that old hymn, face to face with Jesus. You'll see. You'll be there. You will, you will see firsthand. And, and, and two, as we step over into glory, guess what happens? That, that portion of our brain we haven't been using. We have glorified brains. We're able to use parts of our brain we've never used. We'll be smarter than we've ever imagined ourselves being. Listen, we'll have full knowledge of everything that we need to know. Everything that we will need to know, we will know. So in heaven, there is unprecedented knowledge. You won't have any questions. I know a lot of people say, I can't wait to get to heaven. I'm going to go talk to somebody. 
And some people envision heaven as being, you know, you go in the gate and then there's this big question mark over a big door. Everybody's got questions over here, get in line, like going to Disney World. <laughs> it's a long line. <laughs> and you go up and you ask God, you know, who was Cain's wife? <laughs> or, you know, some significant question, you know. <laughs> no, there won't be any questions. You'll have full knowledge in this glorious place that we'll be calling home. And, but let me just say this as a, as a clarification. You won't have all knowledge. You understand? You won't have all knowledge. Because that's omniscience. And that's an attribute that is reserved for God alone. You'll have full knowledge. You'll know everything that you will need to know. But only God is omniscient. Also in heaven, we have com complete comfort. The, the ones that are gathered there around the throne of God. They, they have aches and pains, and headaches and troubles. Comfort. You remember the story that Jesus was telling? And it wasn't a parable. He, he's using names. These are real people. Of the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man died. He was selfish in his life. He was ungodly in his life. And so he died and, and, and immediately found himself in what was precursor to hell. In torment. On the other hand, the, the poor man, the beggar, Lazarus, a godly man, we're assuming from the text, and, and, and he dies, and I think it's so interesting. If you go back and read that, be comforted by this fact. And go back and read it and see. The facts are there. When he talks about the rich man dying, it just simply says he, he died, he was buried, and boom, he's in hell. Or what will be the precursor to hell. He's in torment. But then listen to what Jesus says about Lazarus. And Lazarus died, and the angels escorted him into the bosom of Abraham, which is paradise, which is in the presence of God. Did the Lord not tell us, I'll never leave you nor forsake you? Did He not guarantee us that? The Lord said, I won't leave you as little orphans. Not in life and not even in death. Brothers and sisters, I've stood by the bedside of more people than I can count who are slipping into eternity. And those that I know had a, 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 a real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and were faithful followers of Christ who loved the Lord and knew where they were headed. Let me tell you something. Oh yeah, I, I, my heart hurts for the family. You know, it hurts for me. Those of us who grieve their departure. But the fact is, when you stop and think about in that very room, waiting for the moment that death will take over, listen, is a contingency of angels dispatched from heaven by God to accompany that dear saint all the way into the arms of Jesus. You don't go to heaven alone. Lazarus didn't. And if he would extend a courtesy like that to a poor old beggar, I got to believe that he would do the same for me and for you. There's comfort because when Lazarus got into the bosom of Abraham, Jesus says, and there he was comforted. There he was comforted. No needs, no hurt, no pain. Listen, in heaven there's perfect love. Why? Because God is love. In 1 Corinthians 13, we're just right there in verse 12. Look at verse 13. Talking about the gifts of he says, and now abide faith, hope, and love. These three. Of all the gifts, all the things. He says, the only three that, that make it to the final uh, round. 
The top three. Faith, hope, and love. Guess which one survives? To go to heaven. Faith's out. Because ladies and gentlemen, in heaven you don't need faith. The scripture tells us we'll walk by sight, not faith. You don't need faith in heaven. Hope. How about hope? We all love hope. Especially Bob. Hope. Not talking about Bob Bonnet. (laughs) Hope. Yeah, hope. No, you don't need hope in heaven. What's there to hope for? It's all right there. It's all in front of you. More than you possibly could have imagined here on earth. It's there. It's spread out before you. God is revealing to you things that your mind couldn't even comprehend in this existence. What do you got to hope for? All the assurance your soul could ever want is right there in front of you. So what's left? It's love. It's love. Stop and think about it. God is love. Isn't that what the Apostle John said in 1 John chapter 4? Then verse 17. He said, love has been perfected among us in this, that we, have, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But, we, but He who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love Him because He first loved us. God is love. And heaven is all about love. And it's that atmosphere that you and I will be involved in. And and that will be home for us. Listen, I need to move along because as we talk about the experiences in heaven, there will be pure, untarnished joy. Pure, I, I love to have a good time. I love to be in a joyful environment. I love football season, but being a Wake Forest fan, there's just not a whole lot of joy. A lot of pain. But okay, how did I get off on that? You know, it's preseason. But anyway, in Psalm 30, in Psalm 30, the psalmist says in verse 5, For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. When dawn breaks on your life and my life, when we step into eternity, into the presence of the Lord, however that may happen, through death or by the rapture, let me tell you something. When we leave this dark world, sinful world, this this chaotic and dangerous world that Pastor Chad was describing in his beautiful prayer of supplication, listen, when we leave the darkness of the night of sin, we step into a dawn of a new day, And with the dawn of this new morning and our new life that will last for eternity, there is nothing but all absolute untarnished joy. The psalmist says in Psalm 1611, in your presence is the fullness of joy. In Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus is teaching the parable of the talents and Jesus is describing the faithful servants that had faithfully invested their lives for God, And the Lord said to them, You're well done, good and faithful servant. And how did he end that? He says, Enter into the joy of the Lord. We sometimes can't even wrap our minds around a place that is absolute pleasurable, a place that is absolute comfortable, a place that is filled with perfect joy, a place that is filled with perfect love. And as we are there, One day, 
when the rapture occurs, there will be a, a tremendous transformation as we are in our glorified bodies. So one day you are given the guarantee that your physical body that you occupy now will be wonderfully and divinely transformed in an instant in the twinkling of an eye and united with your soul. That will be your eternal body. That will be the body that you will occupy in the present heaven and in the heavens to come, the heaven to come. And that's what Peter, I mean, that's what Paul is describing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Listen as he says in verse 35, but someone say, will say, how are the dead raised? It's a skeptic. And with that, and with what body do they come? Paul replies, foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be first, but mere grain. Using the analogy of, of wheat or some other grain. Perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as He pleases and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of fish, another birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. In other words, it's buried. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. He's talking about the glorified bodies that we will occupy. <clears throat> and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The, the last Adam, Christ, became a living, life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and after the spiritual. The first was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. In other words, what Paul is saying, this, the bodies that we will occupy for eternity in heaven will be glorified bodies, which are our physical bodies taken from the grave or wherever they, the remains of our body may be and united with our soul by our divine process of transformation that only God understands and knows. But we are given glorified bodies. How do we know what they will look like, do, whatever? What's the nature of a glorified body? Well, the best example we have is that given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. When He was resurrected from the grave, we see Him described in the Scriptures. He rose from the grave bodily. His, his spirit united with his body again, which did not suffer corruption, as the psalmist pointed out. And in his glorified body, <clears throat> Jesus was recognizable. We know that in the gospel accounts of the resurrection of Christ, that those who knew the Lord before knew him afterwards. Mary Magdalene being first and the other women, they recognized him. His disciples eventually recognized him. So will we be recognized by those that we know here on this earth? Our glorified bodies will be physical. Christ's body was physical. He showed up in the, in the room where the disciples were huddled behind a locked door. He showed up in a physical body. He had hands that still had nail prints. He had a spear a wound in his side <clears throat> as evidence to help them. And, and, and they could touch him and he could touch them. Not only that, in, in his glorified body he could eat. And as a Baptist I say hallelujah. He said go, get some food, bring me some food. 
I, you guys may think that I'm a ghost. Ghosts don't eat. You ever try to give a chicken leg to a ghost, put it in the mouth, boom, drops on the floor. I, I can't say that quality. Anyway. But the fact is, in our physical bodies, we're recognizable. In our, in our glorified bodies, we are recognizable. In our glorified bodies, we are physical. We're capable of touching, being touched, eating. We're not hindered by distance or structure. Because if you look at the example of Jesus Christ in His resurrected body, He was able to just show up in a room that was, had locked doors. Just right through the wall. There He was. And in our glorified bodies, we'll be able to do the same. We won't be limited by the dimensions of space and time or physical structures. We'll be able to go wherever we need to go, when we need to go. We'll be able to travel fast. I hate Jan's not in here. She'd like that part. <clears throat> we'll be able to travel at amazing speeds as Christ was able to go from here to there instantly, move from one location to another location because in heaven that will be a necessity. And unlike... Our present earthly bodies, our glorified bodies will be absolutely, absolutely immune to aging. Put a lot of businesses out of business. Our glorified bodies won't be subject to disease or disabilities. Janice and Michiko, y'all can just throw them walkers away. Hallelujah. Amen. No more disease, no more disability. There's no pain. Because in our glorified bodies we will be, just like John said in 1 John chapter 3, we'll see Him and we will be like Him in our glorified bodies. What about relationships? I've got to move quickly. What about relationships? In heaven, <clears throat> according to Matthew chapter 22, when Sadducees came to Jesus and they were quizzing Him about marriage. It's interesting because Sadducees didn't even believe in the resurrection. They're saying, well, what if, you know, in, in the resurrection, when a person dies, you know, and he, they gave him an example of a, of a woman that was married to seven brothers, as a Jewish law would require. One died, she married the next brother, married the next, went all the way down the line. So they posed the trick question, so whose wife will she be in the resurrection? And Christ went on to say, that just betrays how ignorant you are of the Word of God. I'm paraphrasing. He says, you don't even know the teachers of the Scriptures. You don't even know God's design for heaven because He said in heaven there'll be no marriage. There'll be no need for marriage. You'll be like the angels. Now folks, don't take that to mean that you're going to have wings and you're going to be flying around. God doesn't take people who die on this face of the earth, whether they're children or people, and make angels out of them. It just you know, makes me feel so sad when I hear people say, oh yes, their, their little child died because God needed another angel. No, God doesn't need another angel. He can make a thousand. Poof! Just like that. When we die, we go to heaven. We are glorified saints. Children included. So he says there's, there's no need for marriage relationships in heaven. Now I realize some of you are really being perplexed by that because you're thinking, I can't imagine going to heaven without my sweet honey. I, I can't. Oh, I can't. Yeah, well, hang on. Hang on. Because you know, Dr. John MacArthur said in his book on heaven... He says, in heaven, man will no longer require helper because he will be perfect. Woman will no longer require protector because she will be perfect. And the population of heaven will be fixed. Just like the angels don't procreate, nor will the saints in heaven. So, you know, for some people, you know, that brings some distress. Thinking, oh, I can't imagine going to heaven and, and not being married to my honey. And then some people have been saying, yes. 
<laughs> I thought about this cartoon I saw one time. This fellow's walking around. And you could tell it was up there in heaven because he had that heavenly look. He's got a cute lady under one arm and a cute lady under the other arm, you know, and he's just glowing, you know. And there's this prudish woman standing right in front of them, you know, got her hair pulled back in a tight bun, little needle nose, you know, squinchy eyes, you know, and she's tapping her foot. Mm, you can figure out. Mm -hmm. And he looks at her and he says, But Ethel, our vows said, till death do us part. <laughs> so, however you look at it, we will be reunited with our family. We will recognize our families. Folks, let me tell you something. The relationship that God will bless us to enjoy with Him and the relationship in our glorified existence, just as we'll have glorified bodies, we'll have glorified relationships. We will be one family from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. All the people will gather around the throne of God. We will be one family, brothers and sisters in Christ. By the way, you don't lose your gender either. <laughs> There'll be no bathroom confusion in heaven. <laughs> we are one family. And the love that we have for God will be preeminent, but that love will permeate our hearts and minds so that we will love all saints equally. We will still remember that we were married to Ethel. <laughs> we will still remember our children. There will still be that fondness. But the love that we will have, it will, it will raise our concept of relationships to a level that we can't even honestly imagine here. Very quickly, very quickly, very quickly, because I really want to touch on one thing left. <clears throat> I apologize. I know I'm going a little bit late, but I, I really want to share this. If you'll go back to the book of Revelation, because this is something that the Lord revealed to me, and, and I, want to, I want to share it with you. Uh, it's interesting, because in chapter 6 of Revelation... The church has been raptured from the world. There are no saints left on the face of the earth. They're all in heaven. Those who have died and those who have been raptured are all gathered there around the throne of God. God is ready to pour out His judgment upon the world. We understand that to be the, the great tribulation. It begins in chapter 6 of Reve in, in Revelation. The tribulation begins with the, the sealed judgments as you will. But if I can fast forward you over to chapter 6 verse 9 because an interesting scene takes place there. This would be the midpoint of the seven year tribulation. The Antichrist is running rampant. There's war. There's God's pouring out judgment upon the world. Christians are being, yeah, people are being saved during the tribulation time. It's amazing, but they will be. In fact, I, I heard that one of the greatest revivals to ever break out on the face of the earth will occur during the tribulation. We'll talk about that maybe another point. But anyway, look at verse 9. This is the midpoint of the tribulation. Souls have been slaughtered, if you will, persecuted because of the faith in the Lord. In verse 9, John says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them and they, that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed also were, was completed. Now, let me, just, let me just stop there. Dr. Randy Alcorn summarized 21 facts just from that passage. I'm not going to do 21. I just want to point out just a few that I think are noteworthy that you see right here. Now, this is heaven. And these are people in the present heaven, the heaven that exists right now where God is, where the saints are, where we will be. 
But here's this, this group of persecuted saints who died during the tribulation. They're under the altar and they are talking to God. First of all, our earthly identity carries over into heaven. You don't go to heaven and become an anonymous individual. These people were known as martyrs on the earth and they are known in heaven as those who were martyred for the faith in heaven. You will be remembered for who you were. You know, there won't be any need for preachers in heaven. I I hate to say it, I'll be jobless, so y'all think about me when you got mansion repair service or something like that. But but, but there won't be any preachers, you know. But but, but I will be remembered as one who proclaimed the word of God. You'll be remembered for your life here on earth. They they were remembered. So so your identity goes with you as it was with the martyrs. Also in, in heaven, people in heaven are aware of events on the earth. In the present heaven. I want to make that distinction. In the present heaven. Don't think that your loved ones are there mindless of what's going on here on the earth. These martyrs knew what was going on on the earth. They knew the the persecution that was going on. They knew that the state of the world was like it was. So they were aware of what was transpiring on the face of the earth. And those in heaven, if you die before the rapture and you're there in heaven, you'll be able to have a sense. It may be limited. God can certainly screen what He wants His saints to know. But the fact is, they had an awareness People in heaven will pray. I've heard people say, and, and, and they're, again, in the present heaven, in the present heaven, people will pray. Pray is simply petitioning God. Why are they petitioning God? Because the earth is still existing. There are things still happening on the earth. God's plan is still being worked out and they're appealing to God. That justice will come to those who are bringing such, like the Antichrist and the evil hordes of, on, on the earth. They will still pray. You know what? Here's a comforting thing. You don't need to pray for your loved ones who have gone on ahead of you who are in heaven. You understand? There's, there's nothing they need. Okay? You can praise the Lord because they're there. And, and, and absolutely don't pray to them as some religions have made the mistake of doing. But find comfort in knowing that those who loved you who are in the presence of the Lord may be praying for you and chances are they are praying for you as you make your way through this this earthly existence. There's time in the present heaven. In the present heaven. There is a sense of time. How do we know that? Why would the martyrs say how much longer how much Longer as they cried out to the Holy One. How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. And then in verse 11, the Lord's reply is, you rest in a little while longer. Both concepts of time in the present heaven. People are aware that God is working out a plan and He's on time. And then the memories of those in heaven are not erased, including those who are lost here on earth. I've had at least two members to ask me, will we remember those who, have, who, who we leave behind, who are not saved? Won't that cause us to be sad? Won't that take away from the joy of heaven? And I know that some preachers have... have tried to explain it by saying, well, you know, there are some scriptures where it talks about the wicked will be remembered no longer. But when you look at the context and hold it up against God's plan, 
It really doesn't substantiate that God would erase our memories. One of the joys of heaven is being able to remember some of the things that we experience here on earth that makes heaven that much more valuable. When we get before the Lord in our glorified bodies and we are there to be judged for the rewards that He will give us, we will remember as He's recounting the things that we did that earns these rewards. So, yes, we will remember those who are left behind. But here's the comfort. Here's the comfort. In our glorified state, in the divine dimension of heaven, being able to know all that God is going to reveal to us, we will have a perspective that we can't even begin to grasp right now. There will not be agonizing lament and grief over those who don't come to heaven because we will see things as God sees it. And in addition to praising the Lord and relishing the reality of our own presence there, we will be comforted by the Lord. He will comfort us. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, when Jesus is teaching this, telling the story of Lazarus and the rich man, I thought it was interesting that in that story, when the rich man is in torment in, in hell, and he looks across the chasm, and we can't say that is literally how it will be, but Jesus is helping us to see that when the rich man is appealing to Abraham, Please send Lazarus that he might just come and touch my tongue to cool me. I'm in agony. Abraham responds to this rich man. He says, my son. You sense a relationship. You sense an endearment, if you will. He recognizes this was another Jewish man. A part of the family, if you will. And yet there's not one sign of anguish or one sign of Abraham being upset or distraught because, you see, he understood. He understood the eternal scheme of God. Now, I, again, there are things we can be dogmatic about and say, oh yeah, absolutely. I'm just sharing with you a perspective that I think is fair and scriptural. Because the last thing I want to do is mis misrepresent the Word of God. It would be easy to stand here and tell you, oh no, you, your mind's going to be erased. You won't have any memory. We will remember. But God in His grace and His mercy will comfort us and will help us. And it will not take away from the joy that we experience in the presence of God. In the present heaven. Things are different in the new heaven. I hope you'll Hang in, because I'm excited about what's to come in God's great eternal scheme.